Welcome to the Lost Ones podcast. This is the latest in our occasional series of discussions with artists and creatives about their passions, directions, work and careers. This episode is a recording of a panel of photographers and book designers. We held it in response to the Ballarat International Photo Biennale in September 2017. We gathered together a powerful group of photographers, some emerging and others established, to discuss the future state of Australian photography. This was recorded in front of a live audience. The speakers included Raffaella Rosella, Morgana McGee, Heidi Romano and Penny Stevens, internationally awarded photographer, curator and editor of photography Ying Ang facilitated the seminar. We looked at how the slow death of one sector may be helping to bring about the rise of another. In Australia, as photo desks are squeezed by economic pressures, we're witnessing the birth of photographer-led networks that seek to change the status quo by driving a new set of standards. I'm Tara Poole, and this is The Lost Ones. This particular panel is so exciting for, for, for The Lost Ones particularly to be hosting. And I have to first and foremost say the biggest thank you to um, Nikki Catling, who has been our photographic curator throughout the Tamara Day identifying this incredible array of and unintentionally, I have to say, female photographers. We did not go out of our way to identify specifically a gender. It just happened to be that when we started looking into the issue of what the future state of Australian photography is looking like, you all happen to be chicks. <laughs> so I'm, I'm incredibly proud of my gender, and um, thank you very much. So the works that all of the, I think, that in common that I can see across the panel, and not being an expert in photography and only being an enthusiastic, art-loving amateur, <coughs> is that there is a compelling honesty to all of them, and showing a life and a world that I personally engage with, um, that I want to know more about, and I want to hear the narratives and the tales and the stories behind the, the photographs that you take. So thank you all so much. Um, firstly, we have here Heidi Romano, and I'm going to read from my little sheet. <laughs> um, Heidi is obviously, she had connections back to the Ballarat International Photo Biennale from times gone by. Um, however, today, independent artist, 15 years experience, book producing and designing uh, extraordinaire and living and hiding in regional Victoria. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you so much for joining us. Penny Stevens, representative of the infrastructure, I suppose you could say, ex of Fairfax, yep. um, and of the news desks and the photo, I know, the last 20 odd years, photographing everything from deaths, births, marriages, wars, how you've survived in that photography environment. I think we'd all love to find out a bit more. Mm -hmm. uh, Raffaella Rezella, well, you need no further introduction. Your picture of <laughs> Roro and John has just been front and centre of, of all of our promotions. And I'd like to thank all of you who have actually taken the time to make a donation because all of your donations will be going towards baby John, who is three months old now. Yeah. yeah. About that? Yeah. He was born in, in incarceration and his mum is getting She's, out soon. She just got out. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. So they're now being reunited and your donations are going to support baby John and his needs. So, and the Lost Ones Gallery will be matching your donations dollar for dollar. So very, very excited by that. Really interested to know about Raffaella's um, work with Beyond Empathy. Morgana. Um, 
the glamorous gorgeous Morgana who work for <laughs> Take it. <laughs> uh, the, the work that uh, Morgana produces particularly is it has a resonates with us in Ballarat. Some of your some of your models, mm-hmm. some of your muses, I should say, those models, more muse are actually based in the Ballarat region. So I'm really interested to know about your particular focus on particularly teenage, the crossover, the wildlife that is the teenager. Teenage years. <laughs> and you know, who I won't ask you to stand up unless you want to, who's eight months pregnant. <laughs> and is going to be the fantastic facilitator of today and um, she will be keeping it moving along speedily. So <laughs> well, I'm sure. <laughs> unless everybody gets really involved and just wants to keep on chatting. I also have baby brain. Okay. <laughs> right. So, no more further talking for me. Thank you so much again for turning up, and um, let's get started. Thanks. So, thanks Sarah and Nikki for organising today, and thank you everyone for coming. Um, the way that we're going to do it today is I have a list of topics and questions that we're going to cover. I don't know that we'll cover all of it. Hopefully not, because I'd really like to get you guys engaged in the conversation as well. So um, I'll introduce topic, and then the panellists will share their views, and then I'll open it up to Q&A per topic, just because it's quite extensive. Over two hours, you may forget train of thought. Um, So the first topic that we have is why create documentary work as opposed to other genres of photography? So how did you get to that? Um, What is the purpose of producing the work and whom are you producing for? Um, If producing with an audience in mind, who is that and should we care who the audience is? Just one question. That was like the first part of that one question. So, why documentary then? Alright. It's a big question, and that's why we're all sitting here quietly, I think. Um, And I can only speak for myself, personally. Um, But for me, documentary is a a chance to connect with people and with stories that I just just wouldn't have the chance to do in sort of everyday life. being a documentary photographer in Australia is really interesting. We'll go with interesting, yeah. Um, because there isn't really a traditional market in the same way that there is in the States and in Europe. Um, magazines don't really commission people to work on long-term stories. And the media, we're going to talk a bit about the media in Australia today. But the media in Australia doesn't necessarily, um, well, they don't have the budgets anymore, but there's a different value system, I suppose, put on photography within the media. So being a documentary photographer, and I know there's a lot of documentary photographers in the audience as well, it means um, taking time away from your family and your loved ones and your friends and all the things normal people do and immersing yourself in someone else's um, situation, someone else's life, um, which can actually be incredibly rewarding. I guess I'll go now. I guess for me, it sort of just came naturally. when I first started photography, I was 15, and I first started documenting my friends and family, so I guess it sort of evolved from there. I don't... I didn't know what genres there were. Like, I guess you don't know what you're doing when you're 15. Um, and I did study it at high school and, you know, did stuff in the dark room, but I guess I was just constantly drawn to documenting what was in front of me and um, yeah it's just grown from there yeah 
I guess my interest in it began when I found a book of um, <coughs> 50s documentary, 50s press photos in our bookcase. My mum and dad are just sitting over here. And because um, we lived on farms, um, it just showed me a whole incredible world and I could sort of feel the emotion in the photos and I wanted to be part of those worlds or that world and it seemed like a... So had you already started shooting then though? No, that, I, that was a kid and I didn't... Okay. That was when I was a kid, sorry, and I didn't realise that that was where it came from until later. At school I did photography here in Ballarat with another friend who's also a press photographer um, and with Angela Wiley. And um, yeah, it just grew from there. I'm actually not a documentary <laughs> photographer yeah. at all, uh, but I guess I fell into it. I fell into it by chance. It's like when I started the online magazine I did a few years ago, it's like I didn't quite know what I was doing at the beginning, but like the, you can always actually look in hindsight of what you've actually done or what you were drawn to. And I noticed I was actually drawn a lot to photo, photo documentary, but maybe not in the old fashioned way, but like maybe more like in a modern, I wouldn't say like arty way, but like in a refreshing way. And I guess like from there, Again, it's like I didn't really go out to just look for it, but like it just always seemed to grab my attention. And then again, it's never that I... Um there are so many amazing photographers out there and it's like the work needs to speak to you personally and it doesn't matter if it's documentary photography or if it's art photography or even sports photography. If it speaks to you, it actually touches you and it makes you think and I guess like I found myself often drawn to those stories where there's more to tell than just one picture, where there's actually a story behind, where not only did I see the lives of what you guys photograph, but like I actually got to, because being a photographer, I also got to see it from the backside. Like, wow, they stood there and took the photo. Like how confronting it must feel for a photographer as well. So I always stand like on both sides, trying to imagine the subject, and then at the same time also trying to imagine what a photographer has gone through or like how they got their image. And I always go like, wow. <laughs> well, so much of what you guys talk about references the experience of being mm. a photographer, right? There's a sense of escapism. Mm -hmm. You get to immerse yourself into other people's lives. You don't necessarily lead the prescribed lives that you're probably raised to understand as being normal. So if a lot of the motivations are centered around your experience of being a photographer, how much do you think about your audience in terms of like, are you there to educate? Mm. Are you there to influence? Are you there to share your point of view? I mean, on the receiving end of it, mm. how much do you think about that when you're making the work as opposed to your own experience? Mm. Well, I think it's, it's a really, it's interesting for me at the moment because the work I've been working on for the past couple of years um, is around teenagers. Um, and these, te all teenagers are vulnerable, but this particular group of teenagers are very vulnerable. And I was just speaking with Raph this morning about having a show of that work in a gallery, you know, having people stand there and drink mm -hmm. wine and eat cheese, it kind of, it makes me want to vomit. Actually thinking about that at the moment gives me so much anxiety. Um, so for me, the sort of work that I do, the audience and the audience reaction is 
absolutely at the um, forefront of everything mm. that I shoot. Um, well, even when I'm taking, even if I know the photos aren't going to go anywhere, I always think about the act of taking the photo and the fact that this person is allowing me to do this and I have a duty of care, I suppose, in a lot of ways to make sure that um, someone who agrees to have their photo taken might not realise that it might end up going, it can go viral, it can go in photo festivals, it can end up in a book. Um, and that's something that I always think of and I, I'd rather not take the photo and then not have to deal with it. Are you clear with that to your subject? Yeah, yeah, really. I, and I'm, I'm, I've had situations in the past, I was working on a long-term story um, over a few years with a mum whose little boy was very sick and in hospital and she asked me to come in and photograph his surgery mm -hmm. and um, I've got a photo um, where her mouth is moving and she looks like she's saying something to him, but she's actually saying to me, she's saying, Morgana, take the photo. Because I, I was like crying and was like, I can't do this. I've never seen a baby go into surgery before. Um, so I find it interesting because a lot of the people I photograph don't, they don't have the same neuroses and hang-ups that I do. And they're actually okay. But I, for me personally, pushing those boundaries is something that even now I don't feel comfortable doing. Audience. Audience? Got the question. <laughs> it took too much. Um, your experience versus, like, when you're shooting, are you thinking about your experience and how you feel in the moment and your engagement with with your subject, or are you also thinking about how your audience is going to perceive it, how they're going to read it, what your purpose is in taking this picture at the end of the day with your communication? Mm. Um, <clears throat> it's tricky because. The things that I photograph are so complex mm. and first and foremost I'm there for the, the women that I photograph um, and photographing is such a little thing that I do. Um, you could say that I work as like a social worker as well with the girls. Um, so, And I'm constantly thinking about the implications of like how an audience will react to what I'm doing and and the girls' stories and um, again it does make me feel sick mm. because I'm so protective of them and I guess we all haven't lived the same lived experience and things that might not shock me may shock others um, so yeah um, thinking about I don't obviously I don't make the work for an audience like I'd love to have it out there and for people to understand it and to give voice to the girls, but um, it's not my main motivation. Um, yeah, and I think as a storyteller, it's your responsibility to um, to navigate where your images are going and and have control because um, you know it's other people's stories in the way that, as you said, could go viral. Um, they could cop a lot of shit, people yeah. might not understand it, um, that's, that's mm. my responsibility. Yeah. So it's, it's scary. Yeah. yeah. So, um, I don't even know if I, if I answered the question. <laughs> but, yeah. And I was just thinking as well that that's, what's interesting about working as a photographer now is that the, the ways that you can get your work out there are so completely different to even when I started. Um, mm. And that's where actually something like Instagram can mm. be really good because yeah. you don't necessarily control your audience, but you do control the message. Yes. And it's really empowering, don't you think, to be able to just say, no, I'm writing this caption, I can turn yes. the comments off, yeah. I can block people I don't want to see. I don't see know it. how you can turn you can, it off. Oh, I'll show you how to do it tonight. <laughs> <laughs> but it's so 
I've begun to say no to a lot of publications. Um, a lot of people who ask for interviews and want to publish the work, and I've begun to just straight out. I don't straight up say no because I know you're going to take it out of context or I'm just like, no, I'm busy. <laughs> but um, I have sometimes told people I've had my work taken out of context and I don't think your platform is the right platform, but it's because you have to be careful and it's a duty of care. Mm. Like, um, it's especially with relationships. relationships. Mm. And these, these people are my friends, like yeah. um, friends and family. Like I can't... Like, would you go and put your friends and family, mm. like... Right. Yeah, it's just... It's just... It's your responsibility and you've got to um, be mindful of everything that you do, really, because yeah. there's always implications. That's right. From yeah. my perspective, because obviously it's... My experience is 20-odd years working for The Age, so there was always an audience. I mean, the audience was always there. But um, what was always vital for me was... Um, the integrity that you took to the for the person that you're photographing to um, treat them with respect and empathy and just to be really authentic um, that was really really important. So sh you're showing their you know the, their truth of that in that particular moment of whatever that scene was was is really important and all the photographers at the age take that incredibly seriously that responsibility it's a big responsibility and you're even though you're working for a big corporation you're also it's just you and the person that you're photographing it's just you out there with these people mm -hmm. so yeah it's a it's a power imbalance when you're a photographer mm -hmm. um and it's just keeping that in mind all the time and I'm actually going to do something terrible and call out my friend Donna Bailey who's sitting there, I'm sorry Donna um, but Donna and I are in a collective called Lumina and Do Donna has done the most incredible body of work based around family and where she lives um, and I suppose in that way you've probably got more authority on anyone to talk about this because you photographed your own children um, so what's it been like for you putting your work out to an audience and these are your kids and your grandkids and your home well, again, it depends on um, where yeah. you're showing, and I think you and I have had that conversation mm -hmm. that you would be reluctant, say, for example, to show your images in Ballarat, mm -hmm. because you, the subjects come from there. Mm -hmm. And so, certainly, um, in any of the context where I come from, um, I'm, I'm a lot more um, uh, cautious mm -hmm. about what I show in, in the context. Mm -hmm. Whereas if I was showing in Sydney, I almost have some sort of anon, you know, um, anonymous um, uh, to an extent. Yeah. It, it, pictures are just taken in such a completely different context. Yeah. Um, there isn't that local knowledge. So it, it really depends on the opportunity, the context, the type of exhibition it yeah. is, who's curating it. Yeah. There's so much. There are so many levels to how you make those decisions. But first and foremost, I ask them. Mm. I, you know, if, if there's going to be a show, um, I'll usually have a, a, a small work print um, and I'll lay them out on the table and I'll say, look, you know, we're thinking about showing these. Are there any, any objections to any? And certainly with my boys, mm. uh, not so much the girls. The girls are like, you know, put it out there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But the boys um, are a bit embarrassed, and, and so as they've gotten older, I've shown less pictures of them because they don't want me to. Yeah. 
But it doesn't mean that you can't stop making your long-form body of work that is about you mm. as an artist and how you see the world. Yeah. Well, you don't have to put everything on show. Yeah. It's not. Mm. That's just a part yeah. of it. Yeah. I mean, everyone makes pictures that <coughs> sometimes you honestly, when you're making a picture, you think no one's going to see this, and I don't even know if I want yeah. anyone to see this. But then it becomes. <coughs> I do like family photos for like all the girls oh, yeah. and I don't show anyone <laughs> but they love them but like for me it's like it's Giving my it's my to gift them. to them yeah. yeah yeah but there's also this yeah. gap between the making of the work and then the audience mm. engaging with it in between you have people that work as curators graphic designers people who make books people that make the work and house the work into a object or into an experience that's digestible to the audience. Mm. And in that interpretation, it also changes. Mm. Heidi, do you have something to say about that? <laughs> <Yeah>. Plenty. <laughs> <laughs> See, I guess like I always come from this viewpoint that I don't actually care about the audience, I'm sorry. Mm. It's like I'm foremost, I want to be engaged and I feel like if I'm engaged, well, most of the times I've actually done this magazine. Like, let's just even on the magazine, it's like it was done for free. So to actually take you into consideration all the time would actually take away my joy because I wouldn't know what you want to see. I couldn't actually please you because I don't know all of the people like who actually look at it. So all I can give you is actually my little viewpoint on these photographers who have been trusting to actually collaborate with me. And that has been quite liberating to actually work with photographers. And they often come back and say, oh, wow, we actually see the work differently because the way I've put it into context or the way it was laid out or the way it was exhibited. So it's like I take the photographer very, very seriously, obviously, and there's this collaboration. But apart from that, I don't really work with an audience. It's like it's almost like they come if they enjoy it, great, and if they actually understand the story, great, but like, if there's actually no engagement from their part, well, I couldn't have changed them even if I would have had you in my mind. Mm -hmm. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have any questions from the audience? I've got a question. Um, just on yeah, what you guys talked about earlier about um, the idea of your work ending up in sort of gallery space and having people look at it in that, uh, in that sort of venue. Um, when you're producing the work and you guys owning it, have you got something in mind where, like, where you're most comfortable for that work to be sort of seen? Is it where you're sort of publishing yourselves, or is it with certain certain outlets? Or uh, I guess I don't know. I've had like a reborn, like I'm now in love with Instagram. <laughs> I don't, know. I don't know. Like it only happened like a week ago. But like, I love you, love. That's true love. I love that I um, that I have control. You know what I mean. But if there was an ideal um, audience uh, platform, I guess something that like a gallery where you can you have control. But then a gallery is not. It's not reaching the people that I want to see the work. Mm. So, um, who do you want to see? Well, I guess the people that I want to see the work are the people that judge these people. So, I'm preaching to the same audience. Mm. I'm preaching to photographers who are going to understand the work that I make. That's not really that defeats the purpose of the work that I make. 
you know, I want people to stop judging, I want people to understand the complexity of their stories and having it in a gallery is not reaching that audience. Mm. So I guess blending it with online publications or books or... But, you know, you need to be strategic in how you how you get it out there. Mm. Um, obviously, gallery's amazing. You, you can... Like there's your Instagram audience where it's like everyone just scrolls, scrolling love. Yeah. Hooray. And they but think, like, yeah. Then you have to book, which takes so long. And then like a completely different experience is like an exhibition. Mm. And then a completely different experience is a digital like showcase of your work in a publication. So it's like I don't think you can pick one. No, it's no. the same work, but it needs to be almost told in different ways. And mm. yeah. Yeah. It needs to be told in different ways to different audiences because it's digested differently mm. um, and I couldn't, uh, to be honest I couldn't name one obviously, like I think my dream goal is to create an immersive installation that somehow reaches the everyday person but unless you're yeah, unless you're JR or you're, you're exhibiting in in Goma or um, something massive that actually gets the everyday person, you know, and it's, it's not going to happen. It's also in Australia we don't have a... I mean, this is, it's interesting with the Biennale because I've just been walking around, we were just walking around outside and all the outside exhibitions are so fantastic. Um, and we had reportage in Sydney and... and but we don't have this... Um, we have a lot of public art, but we don't have a lot of public photography, which is kind of interesting. So as a documentary photographer, you don't necessarily have a place because it's it's not really magazines. It can be galleries, but it's not really galleries. But then it, it also it can be online, but it can not be online. It can be books. So it's kind of moving through all these different um, platforms. And it's, I mean, I you know, to, to have everyone see your work, ideally, you would have it outside or you would do something where you get lots of people in. Um, but we just don't really have a tradition of that in Australia in the same way that they do in Europe and um, even in the States. So. Any other questions? No? Um, the next topic is on collab uh, collaboration and collectives. So we have two ladies, kind of two different collectives. Yeah. And you, and you. And you're a part of one. Part of you yeah. Three. <laughs> <laughs> and you've never been part of No, no. How do you collaborate a lot though? Yes. Pretty much mm. with everyone. <coughs> <laughs> I run my huge <laughs> collective. <laughs> um, so is there an emergence of collectives in recent years or has there always been a cycle of collectives coming and going. For example, we say Banish came back again in total form. Yeah. They're back. Yeah. And doing much better really than they were before. But um, I can get, get into that later. As photographers <laughs> move through their careers having active stages, mix of quieter periods, how to sustain momentum in your career, how to preserve longevity and how can a collective assist when many collabs in tra are transitory in themselves. You always give us like this. Yeah. <laughs> Break it down into bite sizes for us. <laughs> okay. So let me try. I mean, okay, so collectives are obviously dynamic mm. organisations, yeah. right? And they, their rules of engagement are also completely different mm -hmm. from each other. Mm -hmm. Some work more like an agency mm -hmm. and some work as creative collaborations. 
what are the advantages in terms of sustaining momentum in your career, in terms of sharing networks? Like, what do you get out of being in a collective? Mm -hmm. What do you get out of collaborating with other people in the industry, mm -hmm. if anything at all? Is it a positive, is it a negative? What do you like, what don't you like out of it? Well, I think for one, there's always strength in numbers. Mm. That's it. Um, but it's, it is what you put into it. If you don't put effort into it, you're not going to get anything out of it. Um, so how does Oculi run, for example? Well, we're not an agency. Um, yeah, how... Do, don't know. Donna's <laughs> <laughs> been there, like, longer than me, so I guess you're, like... Well, I should clarify, I was with Oculi for about a decade and, and then left Oculi of my own accord and... Uh, wasn't ever going to join another collective, wasn't very interested in the idea at all. And then um, Morgana approached me about Lumina and um, I'm loving it. Brilliant. So two completely different experiences. What were the differences between those experiences? Um, <clears throat> I think, um, oh look, it's, I don't want to sort of say too much about Oculi because not to wrap it. Be honest. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to run them down, but it also has to do with my experience of being in there perhaps too long. That it, it, it just was stale, really. Mm. And um, it, it just wasn't going anywhere and, or doing anything. I just really lost interest. Um, um, Lumen has got a unique and interesting way, I'm going to talk about that interesting um, approach, I think. Mm. And, and we're only very new collective. So how many months? No, only not many. since June, so whatever so that is. We're full of enthusiasm yeah. at yeah. the of course. Yeah, yeah. Honeymoon style. Um, <laughs> but it, it's, it's different. It's a different makeup of people. Um, it's just a completely different. And I should add that Lumina is all female, though that wasn't. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, <laughs> throwing it back to me. But I, I think the point that you're making is like also the longevity yeah. of a collective. Um, there comes to a point if there's not change, hmm. it's not going to go anywhere. Yeah. And um, yeah, I think that's the biggest fail failure with collectives <laughs> is that it becomes stale mm. and things don't change, people don't leave when they should leave um, and that that's the downfall of a collective. Mm. But there's always strength in numbers, you know, like supporting each other, it's a community, um, you know, you can go to them with questions. Mm. Like I, when I joined Oculi, I'd, I'd just finished uni, I knew nothing about like, the business side to like being a photographer and I could start from anything like and I I didn't have that outside of um, and now you're more experienced do you still find it useful now that you've shared contacts and you've got a foothold in the industry yes and no like I still obviously ask for support but um, I guess I'm on a different page that um, and I question my um, my position in a collective because I feel like I don't contribute and that um, I'm sort of just, I don't know what I'm doing really, you know what I mean? Like, um, and I'm just trying to figure out the work that I make and I think, yeah, I, I've loved it but um, yeah, I think there is a lifetime 
I think, I think there's, within a collective, um, there's the reality that you can pop into a void. Mm. And that's the danger. And then you've got to kick yourself out of it. And um, yeah, I, I think that that, 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 can, that can be a bit, um, I just felt in some ways that I, it was, I was building a wall in myself that was narrowing in and I couldn't be who I was mm. as an artist. But, but then, you know, in conversation with Morgana about um, mutual things, mm. Lumina came up and, and it has a different feel and a different agenda. Well, Morgana sitting up front, so I'll let it um, yeah, well, I think it's interesting because we, Lumina is different to a lot of other collectives. I don't know about MJR much, I don't know what to talk about MJR much, but um, uh, we, it, we sort of um, approached people. So it didn't happen organically. It wasn't friends in a pub going, we should do this thing. And it was just us going, no, we want these people because we love their work and we've heard great things about them. Um, and that has kind of, I think that's a lot of our strength. It's also worked magically, like Donna was just saying to Raph, we had our first um, AGM and we all drank a lot of wine and told each other the life stories. It was like a woman's circle. We all left completely in love with each other. Um, <laughs> yeah, which was wonderful. Um, and it's, it's, I've been part of a collective before as well. It's part of Map Group. Rodney, who's sitting up the front, was part of Map Group, um, which is a wonderful collective. But again, I joined when I was um, fairly green and I got a lot of advice and a lot of help but Lumina is more about um, it's a support network mm -hmm. and it's a way for us to experiment and play around with different ways of telling stories and break away from that kind of traditional narrative idea um, and just also support each other I would say. And it's about the long form thing mm. very much too. Yep. Yeah we don't have to pump stuff out constantly it's sort of yeah. a different way of working which is yeah. really exciting. Um, Penny, do you, does that sound attractive to you being part of a collective? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, I think, I mean, my perspective is, again, more mainstream media, because that's where I've been for all this time, but um, there used to be absolutely no collaboration, like, even between photographers on jobs, if you say you were at a a crime scene and your opposition from the Herald Sun was there and you could see a piece of evidence that you knew should be photographed, you certainly wouldn't tell them. Like you would keep everything secret and it was, you know, no one would speak and it's completely changed now. I think because it's so much smaller. <coughs> so on a small, like on an actual job-to-job -job scale when you're out there with other photographers, it's really collaborative now and, and it's maybe all the dickheads have gone, I don't know, like it seems, it's just much friendlier. But you've also left. But I've job. also left, yeah. yeah. True. <laughs> <laughs> but, um... <laughs> True, maybe I'm a dickhead. Oh my God. But also there's a lot more collaboration in, in, with actual mainstream media outlets as well. So, you know, Fairfax will do stuff with the ABC and, you know, I think there's a lot more collaboration going on in general. Hi, collaborations your lifeblood. I love it, but um, 
I don't know how I would deal with actually being in a collective. I think it is so amazing and inspiring to actually see when they are working together. But I also hear so many stories when they are not working together. <laughs> yeah. So when it's not working, it just seems to be an extra drag where, like Donna says, like you're actually closing yourself off and you're, everything becomes narrow. Whereas like I think like a collective should be there like, it shouldn't be like your therapy session, but like it should actually be there to help you grow, to help you understand maybe more about business or like if you have a problem with your work or if you're trying to approach someone different. So it's like, I think there are a lot of great benefits from being part in one, but it's also a lot of work. And I think it's very hard because some people are very engaged and very passionate. So they put in a lot of work, whereas like some other people, like they just want to have the name on their CV or, and there's not enough engagement. So they don't do enough. So then someone else starts to resent them and just because comes this power dynamic which is so hard to I you guess, see a lot control. of that in Magnum yeah. for example yeah. a lot of yeah. photographers that want that brand attached to their name and don't contribute yeah anything which I think is I think that's the death of a um, collective is is thinking that you know that you've helped just say if you're a founding member you've helped build this collective and that you don't need to put any more work into it mm -hmm. and it's like no like it's still growing mm -hmm. I like, think well what's interesting about that um, is that because if you're a collective that's not an agency um, it often means that you're not monetized mm. and if you're not monetized you often don't draw up the roles within an organization that you would if you were starting a business mm. for example mm. um, in 2009 I been part of MJR for maybe one or two years and we had also just had our first AGM and we were totally in love with each other <laughs> and uh, went to um, a photo festival where one of the exercises was everyone split up into groups and we got given topics to discuss and then we had to come back and a spokesperson had to discuss the topic and the guide in our group was Gary Knight who um, was, is one of the founding members of Seven which started as a collective and is now an agency. And um, our topic was collectives, and Gary said to me, um, you know, so what's it like being an MDR? I was like, oh, it's amazing, we love each other, we get along so well, we're like a family. And he said, well, you're honeymooning, first of all, and um, at some point you need to work out who's doing what. Mm. Mm. You know, and then un until you start identifying specific roles, yeah. you know, like, this person is, um, so we have a photographer, his name is Mustafa, who's very, very charismatic, very handsome, people love him. Um, he's our PR guy. Yeah, shove him up the front. Yeah. <laughs> other people who prefer not to be in the limelight kind of do other things, yeah. you know? But so they need to be enforced. It's easy to yeah. be like, you're this, you're that, you do that, but what's the consequence if you don't do your job? Right. Like, and who's implementing, like, who's saying, okay, buddy, you didn't do your job, three strikes and you're out. No one does it. Yeah. And that's what the problem is. Yeah. Is that there's no consequence. Not if you have a German on your panel. <laughs> <laughs> we need Heidi. But I mean, like, this is, and I feel like it's for every, like I see it with most collectives, mm. is that people get comfortable and and they don't think they need to put the work into it. And I'm not putting... Pardon? Collectives that just grow, 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 um, big, you lose your definition, like you talked about your roles, whereas 
you know, with Lumina, we've been very um, specific about keeping it very small so that it is manageable and that we all have our distinct roles within that. But if you take on too many members, it just starts to go. And I think the great thing with Lumina is that you've all joined together and you're just at the start of it. Whereas, like, I came into a collective when there was... You know, people have been in there, as yourself, for many years before me. I felt like I couldn't speak up um, because, obviously, I was shy and young. took a couple of years to be able to actually get my voice. And now I'm probably the loudest one in there. <laughs> but, um, yeah, they have a life. And Do you think that it works to the advantage of a collective to have shooters that approach work the same way or that have a... Uh, commonality in their aesthetic or, you know, like if you had a collective that was all documentary photographers, is that a strength or perhaps would it be um, stronger if you had a really strong documentary photographer, a really strong fine art photographer, mm -hmm. a really strong multimedia producer? <coughs> well, um, the other thing is that why does it all have to be photographers? Mm. Right. And they're probably all yeah. different. Like, mm. you know, nor, nor probably is photo documentary but then they they can all get together and go and do a particular project and then do it really well that they all do it differently mm. I mean there are collectors like terror project photographers in Italy um, they can do a enormous project throughout Italy about um, earthquakes and they'll all go and shoot yeah. um, in their different parts of Italy and then put a book together and you cannot tell who has shot mm. what picture um, and because they sit down and they say, okay, we're all going to shoot colour, we're all going to shoot um, film, neutral palette, 6 by 6 and then they'll go and do that. And that's actually a strength. Because mm. this is what I'm always very curious and fascinated by, like when actually the people work together within a, within a collective, because everyone has their distinct voices, and it's like I think that's fabulous, and this is why you came together. But, how do you tie but I it actually want to see it together. Yeah, because and I think that's the the hardest part is when you have so many different voices and styles. How do you bring it together? There are always ways. Well, you can do it because yeah, you do. You're the designer, but this is what I mean. Like, imagine if you had a collective that isn't all photographers. You had mm. journalists. You had you name it, videographers. How strong that would be. And I think it depends on the outcomes too. I think if it's edited, like with documentary and, and kind of photojournalism being always, they'll always be kind of neighbours to each other. Um, but there's this expectation of editorial, I suppose, um, that your work will be published in magazines or it will be. But, you know, if you want to have shows, if you want to have exhibitions, why not have installation artists? Why mm. not have sculptors? Why not have different people interpret your work? For me, right now, that's what's a little bit more exciting more mm. than um, kind of straight for straight photography in a lot of ways. Yeah, like at the moment I'm collaborating with a um, cinema photographer mm -hmm. and shooting 16mm uh, film. Like, I don't know how to shoot the film, so I collaborated mm -hmm. with, the, um, with a cinema photographer and I think it's exciting. Like, yeah, I just need to see it now. <laughs> <laughs> Hurry up. Whoever knows a scanner who can scan 16 mil, hook me up. Do you? Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, does there have any questions about collaborations or collectives? It's a fairly murky mm. territory, you know. I think 
if you start thinking about joining a collective or want to join a collective or like to start a collective, it's important to talk about it and be with people. Are you still in the honeymoon stage? No. (laughs) (laughs) Honeymoon's over. Um, Yeah, but you guys have been running forever and ever and ever. Yeah. So So MJR started in 2007, I think. That's on. And it's across continents. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. But we collaborate a lot together. We're multidisciplinary. Yeah. So my sister's a filmmaker. I'm a photographer. We often collaborate with each other because I know nothing about a moving image. Same. So I'm just like, I'm just hire one. Exactly. Mm. Yeah. But we get to work in-house, mm. yeah. which is um, kind of nice because it's kind of like having... Um, it's kind of like having siblings of a similar age when you have captive friends. You know, it's like <laughs> they kind of have to work with you. <laughs> Um, and they, you kind of committed yourself to supporting each other. Yeah. And so when you call for help, mm. um, it's likely to be there. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> likely. likely. <laughs> um, but you're right, it does, we, we did get complacent for a while. And then because I think what is important to remember is that a collective is ultimately a group of people um, at a, when it comes together at a particular stage in their careers with particular interests mm-hmm. and motivations. Mm-hmm. And if you go through a 10-year span mm-hmm. of your career, or especially as an artist, you find that your interests will probably change. Yeah, and, and so does everybody you else. Change. Exactly. And you go in different directions. Exactly. So if you begin because you have the same aesthetic, or say you all shoot black and white mm-hmm. photojournalism, new stories um, and then that's your strength that's what you brand yourself on and build on and then someone doesn't want to shoot like that anymore then what happens Mm -hmm. you know so it's important to sort of think about your objectives and your collective and where that common ground is Mm -hmm. Um, otherwise it all has an expiry date Mm -hmm. yeah exactly Um, can I ask what do you think the opportunities are coming out of being like the, the strength in numbers thing, but what are like solid opportunities mm. if you come together? I don't know, for <laughs> me, like when I first joined Oculi, like first out of uni, um, you're instantly sort of like, you're like, not, well, it's not important, but you're like, you're validated. Like it's like, okay, you actually are a thing like you actually make work and people actually listen to you because you're in mm. something do you know what I mean like yeah. and there, it's like a rolling like the amount of opportunities that came when I joined Oculi was amazing like mm. I was in reportage and then from then it just rolled on um, people take you more seriously when you're a part of something yeah um, but there's a branding thing, right? Yeah, because there's already a legacy and a brand already set up and it already has mm-hmm. its audience. And Unless you're starting one afresh. Yeah. In which case you would have to build that. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, do commercial opportunities come up with, through Oculi? And if they do, how do you deal with that? Um, I'm terrible. <laughs> I basically say I'm busy or can't do something (laughs) for everything. (laughs) (laughs) And and I don't know, I think that's where we are as as a certain 
the way in well, which we're we very work. similar, yeah. like in the way that I we work. work in, Commercial like, like yeah, I work for a um, community arts <coughs> organisation called Beyond Empathy, and so we use art to influence change with disadvantaged um, young people and communities, and that's the only work that I do. And I started off as a participant with them, so I've been with them for 10 years um, as a participant, now as a community artist. They fund everything I do as well. Um, they supported me to go to university, and that is the only work that I do outside of the, um, my actual personal work. So anything else, I'm like, oh, I'm out of town. <laughs> oh. <laughs> unless, right now. <laughs> unless it's like National Geographic and then they're like, we want you. <laughs> like, that's why I like, don't put up there, like, I don't do assignments because, you know, there might be something amazing that comes through. Hasn't yet, but um, maybe. Um, but, yeah. And i got two kids, like... You know, if I've got any spare time, it's to spend with them. So, yeah. yeah. Um, I think one of the... In, in terms of concrete advantages, as well as one of those concrete advantages being commercial um, opportunity, is that if, if, for example, you live in different... Uh, members of the collective live in different parts of the world, in different capital cities, they're able to arrange for meetings with different editors and different corporations that you might not have access to and mm -hmm. represent the collective. Um, and the way that you would deal with a commercial enterprise coming your way is just a matter of a case-by-case -case thing where you would sit down and you would have a meeting mm -hmm. and you would decide whether it was something that worked for you at the, or didn't work for you. At MJR, we, had, um, we made just for the joy of it, a um, multimedia piece which put together all of our work in a video that we outsourced to a third party video editor to put together. Um, it went around to a lot of different editors and um, Getty approached us because they wanted to market that video to companies like um, Vodafone or this sort of big telco, uh, big telcos that were targeting young people and wanted to sell us as taste makers mm. or as um, having a pulse on what young people were doing or the future of what was cool and trendy. Um, and that sounds like a good opportunity. We could probably bankroll that, but we couldn't agree. As a collective, mm -hmm. and so because some people wanted it, some people didn't want it, but it was all of our work <coughs> at the end of the day. So because we couldn't all agree, and we had decided it had to be 100%, not a majority, because mm -hmm. there were so few of us. If there were 50 of us, mm. maybe it would be a majority, but there were at the time six of us. So you know, I think it would just depend on the nature of your collective and the nature of your decision making. Yeah. Any other questions? Um, sustainability in the photography business. Oh How to survive. <laughs> <laughs> How to survive. I'm on Centrelink. <laughs> okay, that's one answer. Um, <laughs> Commercial opportunities. Commercial opportunities. Well, you have to take them, don't you? Mm. No, to sustain them. <laughs> no, you don't. <laughs> but I will. You always say no. I'm not, I'm not yeah. paying for no, no, no. so. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Of course. Yeah, I mean, 
everyone works differently and finds different ways to survive and to work out. Yeah. Yeah, but how many of us make their income solely from photography as a photographer? Hands up. <laughs> you don't need not anymore. <laughs> Three people in the audience. <laughs> I would have <laughs> No, 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 just for the <laughs> You're out. <Yeah. laughs> no, I think video is included in the photography business these yeah, days. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Including Definitely. writing sometimes. Yeah, but then so is social media, and then so is book design, and suddenly That's everything true. is uh, included, but just purely by pressing a shutter. It's like it is so. It seems like impossible here in Australia because, like, the market is so mm, tiny. tiny. <laughs> well, and it's been flooded. That's the thing as well. And I think I think the market that um, Penny and I, because I've worked at a newspaper as well, the sort of I don't do freelance work anymore, but the sort of work I was doing is a similar sort of commercial work. And then the age gives redundancy. How many people got redundancies in the last round? Yes. Uh, I was the only photographer that left, but oh, I, I, altogether, Overall, I can't remember now. The staff's been cut so much. So well, you, majority of the Oculi dudes are Fairfax are photographers. Yeah, make yeah. money off there. Yeah, yeah, but that that's because yeah they're Fairfax yeah. or like there's Andrew Coolie and the male the male, the male so members. Yeah. Yes, yeah. I there's only feel like everything. <laughs> I feel like there's a lot of work out there, though, for um, for media. For well, for me anyway, ex-media. <coughs> there's an awful lot of ex-journo's out there now working in comms for various things, mm. and um, they've got work to offer you. Mm. Like so far, I've been really busy, which has been really great. And I think and there providing was... sorry, sorry, providing yeah. it someone that you. Um, if you uh, providing you agree with their values, then I think it's great that those work opportunities are out there. So hopefully I can do that while also do projects that are not going to make any money and hopefully there'll be a lovely balance. Mm. So how do you chase those opportunities now? I haven't had to. Um, yeah, they come to me. She's that good. And that's yeah, yeah. that good. <laughs> yeah, but so far, look, it's only been two months, so it's all a bit early days. But um, it's all ex-Fairfax people who are working in different industries now, like in health, education, climate, um, you know, working in hospitals, universities, who's uh, and their the media departments in those areas probably they would have got more press in the old days in the you know in newspapers and now they don't so they've beefed up their own media departments to get their message out and they need quality um, f photographs mm. taken mm. so yeah and I guess if you're you know people know the work that you yep. make you're going to be sought after mm. you know I guess when people realize that you're freelancing mm. yeah so far anyway yeah. hopefully it continues well and I think you build up a really good reputation but the thing is I think what what has been um, to the benefit of everyone else and the detriment of Fairfax is because these great photographers have left, it means that the market's been flooded with some really incredible people who've gone freelance, which is fantastic, but yeah. it's also kind of stepped up the game yes. for everyone else. Yeah. Um, which which I have heard as well, yeah. And it's early you. days, you would know. <laughs> what do you think about that, Ronnie? Um, yeah, I have I've definitely stepped up my game. <laughs> <laughs> I 
because you know there's going to be less work opportunities, and so yeah. more professional. I've got to look for more work. And, yeah. And you know that's my sole income. So. Yeah. What does it look so, like to step up your game, like the before and after picture? Um, so basically sort of making a decision to go for more commercial work rather than documentary or photojournals and stuff. Yeah. Um, and even branding myself completely differently. So not branding with my name, but with a particular, uh, you know, a completely separate business. And using a lot of the photographs that I've taken over the years um, for clients. Um, that's got nothing to do with, you know, the, you know, the documentary work that I've done, which is climate change refugees. Um, that you know, using those images and those videos and putting them on the website and then you know, approaching clients specifically um, to try and get work from that particular site and that particular marketing. Um, and you know, I'm still not there, and I still need to do a lot more. Um, but yeah, really just sort of focusing commercially. Um, so following that model, looking to the future, do you would you then consider yourself a commercial photographer or still a documentary photographer or both? Both. Both, yeah. I would. Yeah. yeah. I mean to, to survive, I mean that's that's what I've decided I need to do. And ages ago I decided for me I decided that I needed to be able to shoot video as well, uh, for the same reason. Because you know I saw an opportunity um, there because there was you know, a lot more demand for video and so I decided to learn how to shoot video. Yeah. Um, so it's, for me, it's not one or the other, it's a whole suite of things yeah. that I can you know, um, take to a client and to you know, even try and upsell. Yeah. Um, you know, so that a client might want photographs or something and then I'll say, oh, I actually do video as well. And, uh, you know, and that works as a model? Sometimes. <laughs> yeah, I've also formed a company that will, because at the moment it's my name that I'm trading on and for my, my husband has also <coughs> left his job at Fairfax at the same time. So we formed a company together called 73 Stories. Mm -hmm. So look out for that. Instagram? <laughs> Pardon? Do you have an Instagram? Not yet, because we, we don't have a branding yet, but as soon as we do, that's what we'll do. But um, yeah, for that same reason. To be able to take on some of that work. Any other pieces of advice from? I think there was a question. Who are oh, a question. Yeah. Um, so speaking personally, I find sometimes the more paid work I do or commissions, the less creative I can mm -hmm. feel. And I know that yeah. other photographers have, you know, been educated or social workers, finding other avenues mm -hmm. to um, get money with that photographing. Mm -hmm. How do you think that? those choices influences your work, your personal work. And for those that do commercial work, how how do you maintain the creative track of your work? Oh my God, the, cre the creative, <laughs> to maintain that is really, really difficult. If you're doing press, you know, mm -hmm. four or five days a week for 20 years, it just really ebbs and flows <clears throat> and you, you know, Ange Wiley, who's one of my best friends, who's a photographer, was a photographer at the age as well. We used to talk about it all the time. Like it just, you have peaks and troughs, ebbs and flows, and you can't, if you could put a finger on what that was, it would be amazing, but you can't necessarily. It's very difficult. I would hate photography if I had to do it every day, if it was my job. Mm. I just, yeah, I'd hate it. I don't, yeah, like. <laughs> I just, I just want to make, like, I, yeah, 
I, I enjoy doing what I do with the girls that I make my work with and then I'm lucky that I have Beyond Empathy who supports my practice mm. and they do amazing community art projects and then I do their social media and and that's what I do. Like, I would rather struggle and not make, you know, I only do part-time, but um, I think my main interest is in the work that I make and, you know, it's at a financial... Yeah, but I just couldn't do it. No. I think I'd go crazy. It's hard. Yeah, I don't, I don't like... Hats off to you because I don't I, I couldn't have been able to do it like as I was saying on the way here just the stress of like constantly having to perform mm. and make an amazing image. No, I, I think you could that. do it. Yeah. You could definitely do it, but you would lose your passion. That's what I mean. I would yeah. hate it. Yeah. Like mm. I would hate I photography. Ask a about the image, the photographic image as it is. Um, and it's something that sort of never seems to be discussed when we're talking about photography is the beauty of the image and it could be because I'm darkroom trained and you know that old fashioned yeah. bringing the image up out of the chemistry yeah. and seeing it but there's still a great love for me when I produce a beautiful negative image just see that come to life as a print there's something about that and, and your creativity mm -hmm. I just wonder what your thoughts are about whether you still have that engagement in this digital well I guess it's not it's not there like I don't enjoy turning on my computer screen and getting into my raw converter and looking at a <laughs> digital file I hate it it's boring if you print if you print no. an image as, as, as a tangible thing well I used to I first and touch and look at like these images mm. yeah like um, if you get a if you're if it's printed on but it's not like the dark room no mm. waves like I first learnt in the dark room as well and there's nothing that compares to like that, that experience. Yeah. I think maybe when you're scanning a negative and you're seeing the image for the first time, you know, you get that little bit of excitement. This has been the Lost Ones podcast. Thanks for listening. I want to thank curator and supporter Nikki Cately for her help and assistance, co-founder and director Stephen Piggott, and the team of The Lost Ones, including Emily Smith, Brody Whiteman and Adam Connolly. Our music is by Ben Sound. Our production is by us at our dining room table. Join us at our next events by signing up at our website or suggest something you'd like to see at the old Masonic Temple. Until next time.